Hello, and welcome to the podcast by Future Observatory, the Design Museum's research program supporting the green transition. I'm Justin McGurk, the director of Future Observatory. And I'm Sher Potter, Future Observatory's curatorial director. In this podcast, we'll be introducing you to design researchers who've put issues of climate and the environment at the heart of their practice. These researchers work across a range of disciplines, but all of their investigations have major implications for how we design the world. We know that fashion is one of the most polluting industries in the world, accounting for 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions, more than shipping and aviation combined, and 20% of the world's water use. Zooming into that problem, there's a growing field of research focused just on the dyeing of clothes. That's right. So what would you think if I told you that the electric blue dye of your socks could outlast the socks themselves? It's interesting to think of the colour of my clothes as something distinct from the materials themselves. Mm, Exactly. Well, if you can separate out the colour from clothes after their use, then the colour itself can be recycled. One of the reasons fashion is so polluting at the moment is that it uses water, lots of water, because of the dyeing process, which in most cases is highly toxic as well. Isn't it also true that colour is the main reason why clothes are difficult to recycle? Because it's difficult to match colours for batch recycling, and so old jumpers end up becoming movers' blankets or carpet liners. That is right. The recycling process itself can be highly problematic. And in order to recycle fabrics at scale, fibres need to have their colours removed or to be batch dyed into darker tones. And this bleaching or dyeing process is, again, highly polluting. So today we're exploring if it might be possible to safely extract fabric dyes in a way which allows them to be reused over and over and over again, rather than being over dyed or washed away with the bleaching process. Also, by extracting the colour, old garments are decolored and therefore, of course, ready for recycling. Recycling the colour, as opposed to the actual clothes, is a rather beautiful concept. And it turns what is a very linear process into a more circular one. Yes, that's right. There's so much to talk about here, from textile production and the astonishing waste it produces, to chemical engineering and our global supply chains. So on a hot day, I made my way over to Imperial College, London, through the maze of corridors to meet Aida Rifat, a young researcher for whom an accidental discovery in a laboratory has led to untold potential when it comes to the way the global textile and garment industry operates. Hi, this is Aida. Welcome to the lab. I was immediately handed protective glasses and a white coat as I entered a small, bright room filled with test tubes stacked on racks holding strange liquids. It was a set primed for a eureka moment, and it was that eureka moment which Aida was about to explain. But first she showed me around her lab. What we do here mostly is like solvent-based processes. They're all circular economy-based processes where we try to make use of waste. Uh, materials. Mostly we work with biomass, now we work with textiles. A lot of people also do extractions, for example, from electronic waste. We are trying basically to develop new chemical technologies that are more circular, that are more sustainable. So that was actually the overall thesis of my PhD. So you mentioned that dye recycle was an accident, almost. The discovery of of dye extraction was an accident. Can you tell us a little more about that? So it wasn't really intentional, to be honest. It wasn't like I went to the lab, let me recycle some dyes. It was basically, during that period of time, I got introduced to this whole, like, fast fashion, and I just, like, watched a documentary, and I was really kind of, like, 
shocked how little I knew about this issue. And because I was working in circular economy and developing chemical technologies, I realized that, okay, maybe I can like, you know, work on something as a side project. I basically decided to do a few experiments. So I took like different textile fabrics and I put them in different solvents that we typically use in the lab. And I was just, you know, the next day I came and I was just fascinated that some solvents had like these bright colors, like they were able just to like strip out all the color from from the fabrics. For years I've been working with biomass, so it's like shades for brown, and then suddenly I can see all this like red and pink and green. So I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. The next step was like, okay, now I have all this like white fabric, and then I have all this colored liquid. So one of my colleagues was laughing, he was like, just chop up a piece of your lab coat and put it inside and see what happened. And this is basically how it happened. And we saw that, you know, the dye is actually being absorbed in back into the fabric. So this is where the whole idea started. But back then, and even now, everyone is talking about fiber recycling. And that was actually my intention is to study the interaction of the liquids with the fiber. I didn't really think about the dye. But then like we got super excited that you know there is this separation that is almost like quantitative that you have white fiber and now you have all this dye so how can you actually use each one of them independently now those white fibers what we do is that we send them to recyclers which now can be they can use them as a clean input to their process and then we do the recycling of the dye ourselves we moved around the space to a bench with shelves of test tubes, Naida showed me some of the plain white fabric swatches where fibers were stripped of their dye. This is a very dark navy color textile waste fabric that we've received from one of the textile manufacturers that we're currently collaborating with. And we have stripped out the color of the uh, textile waste and now you can see these white fibers. And basically textile recyclers are interested in this white fiber because currently what recyclers do in order to recycle textile waste, they have to sort the, uh, sort the garments by color and then they have to over dye everything by a darker color in order to like make it yeah, homogeneous and like uniform. So by us like giving them a white fabric, it's like giving them a white canvas so they can like dye whatever color downstream that they want. At the same time, what we do is once we take out this dye, now like it becomes in this liquid. At this point, Aida lifted up a vial of coloured liquid. We strip out all this dye. We can now, you know, recycle it back and put it into new fabric, as you can see here. So now we're looking at a liquid that has all the dye uh, inside. So it's like the dark blue dye that we stripped out from the textile waste. Basically, we put on a new piece of fabric and then it gets transferred back to the uh, fabric. We can get like so many different tailored colors uh, based on whatever like specifications that we can get. I asked Aida how brands have responded to her technology and its potential within the industry. Currently, we are in early stage conversations with several brands who are like very excited about the concept of recycling color. So these brands are kind of like our channel to their supply chain partners because really where this technology is is at you know the supply chain uh, where the dyeing uh, operation takes a place 
Currently, there are different tiers of uh, in the supply chain. We call them tier one, where the raw production takes a place, tier two, where the dyeing and the finishing takes a place, and then tier three, where the garment manufacturing takes a place. So there are different tiers, and all of those are incredibly globally dispersed at the moment. So, for example, a piece of clothing or a piece of garment can fly to three different continents and multiple countries before it actually arrives to the, to the consumer. So currently, it's not only linear, it is linear and super vertically disintegrated. Obviously, in order to adapt circular models, the very first thing is that brands need to be closer to the supply chain partners. A closer, not really, it doesn't necessarily need to be physical, but they actually need to know who they are. Many of the brands, unfortunately, don't even know where's their dyeing operations taking a place or the type of the dyes that are actually used in their own uh, garment. So obviously, the very first thing is to establish a traceability and a transparency in their own supply chain. And that would help basically adapting innovative uh, technologies because you cannot really like start adapting new technologies if you still have a lack of understanding of the current supply chain. So Ada, can you tell us a little more about the problem that this solves at the level of the factory, you know, where the rolls are being produced uh, and the colour, for example, is you know, not the right tone, so the material is discarded or whatever yeah. the case may be. We were actually quite shocked about how huge this problem is uh, because the very first people that we actually started to, uh, interacting with are like the textile manufacturers themselves. And very quickly we realized that they have a huge pre-consumer textile waste issue because approximately 15% of their input, for example, a textile manufacturer who produces, uh, let's say, a million ton per year, this, this is equivalent to 150,000 tons per year of textile waste just just in the factory level. This can be in the form of offcuts garments, uh, like just the offcuts when you make t-shirts or like uh, trousers, or it can be in the form of dead stock fabric, uh, or it can be just, as you mentioned, like the color did not match exactly specifically what the brand wanted, and then the whole batch get discarded. So there's obviously also a need in, in the change of the mentality of, of the brands and their requirements and how strict they are in, in terms of the slightest color variation, which is something actually we get asked a lot about because our input is textile waste. So we get asked about, oh, what about the color consistency? But this is what has started the problem in this to start with. Is, is that if people cannot adapt this variability that is like textile waste or any type of waste is actually very heterogeneous. So we need to kind of like change our mentality and the requirements by the industry in order to kind of like adapt these circular models more quickly. Do you see this replacing all existing dye? Like in other words, is there enough color in the world that we could keep extracting and reusing and never really have to create a dye from scratch? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, I think we're always obviously going to need some virgin material input. It cannot be recycled infinitely. Even the fibers themselves, uh, they cannot be recycled infinitely. Everything has a, has a lifetime uh, eventually, no matter how much you, you can efficiently recycle. Uh, the objective is to try not to basically just use it once and throw it away is to actually reach that point of what is the ultimate limit that we can recycle something before we can no longer recycle it and this is something that we are also investigating ourselves and is there an idea that this uh, technology could be applied to other kinds of products could you extract the color from from a car from uh, a food type from yeah uh, you know uh, 
a piece of furniture yeah, in your house? Yeah, actually, that's a really interesting question. This is maybe like our next <laughs> type of R&D. We're actually also interested in extracting colors from plastics because this is actually a huge issue also in the plastic recycling. This is why most 99% of the, of the recycled PET or polyester that you see out there comes from a clear plastic bottles. So uh, obviously also like moving to extracting colors from plastic or even like trying to recycle uh, colorant and natural dyes from food waste is something that we are also uh, going to explore at some point. So yeah, obviously you have a platform technology that can be tailored and applied to, di- to different colored substrates. It is both poetic, but also very profound in terms of its potential impact on the industry. So could you tell us a little bit more about, about your realization of, of the importance of this discovery that you made? Obviously, the excitement was there from the very first instance when I saw all those beautiful colors. But I think because like it took us a few months to kind of like understand the impact of what we have uh, discovered. And so it was super exciting, honestly. And it's Till now, it's very overwhelming to kind of like feel that, you know, we're kind of like one of the very first people in the market of like recycling dyes and talking about chemical circularity and not only fiber circularity in the industry. So uh, it is super exciting. Your research produced this discovery and then you had to launch into an enormous amount of research into the fashion industry in order to work out exactly where it could sit and how it could (laughs) really kind of achieve its impact. Is that research kind of ongoing for you? Are you constantly learning or like where does that research process stop and and does it? By the time uh, we started, okay, developing the process and thinking about like commercialization, the pandemic hit. So it was like lab closure. So we took this time actually to start understanding the supply chain of the fashion industry, which is honestly a puzzle, I think, for so many people who are in the industry. So for us as outsiders who tried to understand it, it took us some time, but we quickly started learning basically that there's a lot of inefficiencies and how are we going to basically integrate a very circular process by by nature really because we are looking at dyeing which is very upstream and then textile recycling which is very downstream where are we going to be located are we going to be near the dyers or near the recyclers so it's an ongoing question for us honestly and it's something that we're constantly talking and debating about and this is why we believe that uh, you know vertically integrated manufacturers could be our first customers but eventually we also kind of need to branch out and maybe like have a unit at the recycler or have a unit at the dyers and see how can we basically adapt this circular technology into this very linear existing supply chain. That's a really evocative idea, Cher. And what a story of an accidental discovery in a biomass laboratory. With your background in fashion, What do you think might be the long-term implications of Aida's work? Well, there's a really exciting mix of the pragmatic and the poetic here. It could, of course, significantly reduce the use of new dyes for the dyeing process. And each time you produce new colour for textiles, you use new chemicals and dye stuffs and pigments and catalysts. We can think of much more streamlined and low-impact systems for recycling of decoloured fibres, again, using less harsh or toxic chemicals. But on a more personal level... We might see this as a way to preserve colours from our favourite garments, for example. Imagine preserving the colours of your grandmother's favourite dress by recycling the dye into a new shirt. It might completely change our relationship with colours. I have one question, though. If matching colours is the main obstacle to recycling fibres, isn't it also an obstacle to recycling dyes? 
You're right to point this out, actually. AIDA has previously discussed how the industry itself will have to become far more flexible about the precise color tonalities that they stipulate, accepting a broader range of deviation. So there's a shift that needs to happen within the design process and industry as well. That's all for this episode of the Future Observatory podcast. Don't forget to sign up to our monthly newsletter at futureobservatory.org and we'll see you next time. This podcast is supported by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, part of UK Research and Innovation, and the Design Museum. The producers are Marie Keyworth and Sarah Trina, and the music is by Takahisa Mitsumori. Mitsumori.